Soren Hound. I'm here with Josh Rosenfield. And today we are going to discuss the newest episode of The Legend of Korra, The Calling. So, I know we've talked a little bit about this privately beforehand. Um, not a, not the most eventful episode. Yeah, um, hmm. What's funny is it's sort of plot-driven, but not in... I guess, you know what it is? It's two things. It's it's one, and, and this is something that was kind of disappointing to me. Um, it's it's a, There's a lot of exposition. And the other thing is it's plot-driven, but n- not in any sort of unexpected way. So it's, like, exactly what we thought might happen next kind of thing. So it wasn't... Might happen. So it wasn't, like... It wasn't filled with... You know, lots of, and also the thread was all—it was all one story. It was all about finding Korra. There was no, you know, Kuvira stuff going on. There was no Wu. There was no Mako. There was no Bolin. There was no. There was a lot of the elements that we usually see in these episodes were completely absent. So, um, which is fine. I mean, focusing on a character or a set of characters is totally legitimate. But it left basically one plot element, um, and that was what they used for the whole episode. Yeah, I mean. It's it's a last Airbender episode in a lot of ways, and because of that focus and the travel world traveling, uh, you know, idea and I, what you say about exposition, I there are one or two moments. There's one moment I'm thinking of in particular of exposition that I thought was really handles really really well, and um, I wish that more exposition in just anything could be handled that cleanly. But I think we'll, and we'll get to that a little later. But yeah, I agree with you. It's a very um, yeah, it's a, it's it's not slow, but it's it's not even really uneventful. And I, even though I like getting to spend time with uh, the kids and learning a little more about them, especially Iki, who we know nothing about. I was gonna say, well, we we got a pretty good impression of what kind of character she was and everything in the first season, and then they just sort of abandoned her, so that Milo could make jokes and Janora could do cool things, and then Iki just wasn't a character basically. And it's yeah, it's cool that they make that her character. Yeah, being the middle child. Yeah, and the one who like no one pays attention to. It's like yeah, because the show wasn't paying attention to you for three seasons. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. And you know, it's funny you say that about um, the last Airbender. They they literally say that at some point, uh, right? Whereas before the kids are leaving, they're like you know Aang and, and his friends left, and when they were about our age, um, drawing a direct parallel between what they're doing and yep. and them. So that was kind of cool. Um, it was funny when they left. They're playing such ominous music when they leave. On what's the name of their Pepper, right? Pepper, yeah, Pepper. I was gonna say yeah. Spice, but yeah, Pepper. Yeah, um, yeah. They leave on Pepper, uh, who's a Sky Bison we haven't really encountered yet. I don't think, but I'm assuming it was one of the baby ones from the. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Uh, so with the, this music's playing as Tenzin and Pema are standing there, and it's it's so dramatic when they leave, and I was like. In my head, I was like, and that was the last time they ever saw their children <laughs> again. Um, but I don't think that there's a lot to... I mean, who knows? Maybe they won't run into it. Maybe they'll stick with Korra for a while. Which can be interesting. Having Korra with the kids as, like, a team for a while could be interesting as well. It seems like that's the direction they'll have to go, because... Um, well, unless they go right back to Tenzin and Korra. They could go... They could just cut right back, but I would be surprised if they didn't explore that dynamic at least a little. Because that is, they do have a unique opportunity here to kind of get into the way that Korra relates to each of them individually, and they've just spent this episode exploring how the kids relate to each other, which we'd also haven't seen a lot in the past. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I hope that they'll get into that. Yeah, no, I, I would hope that that's the case. Um, 
because and it was fun. You know, there was a lot of cool little callbacks to the um, original series, like when Iki gets captured and they tie. It, it, you know, the theme I think of the original series was always adults underestimating kids constantly. That's pretty much like every episode of that show. Um, I was just watching The Blind Bandit again the other day because <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and uh, that whole episode is about, you know, Toph's parents underestimating her or, um, you know, the Fire Lord underestimating the fact that, you know, the Avatar, even though he's the Avatar, he's 12, so how dangerous could he be? And um, that is, you know, recurring throughout. And, and here we get a literal manifest, bleh, a literal manifestation of that, which we see in The Last Airbender quite often as well where Iki gets tied up by the Earth Kingdom soldiers uh, and isn't even actually bound to anything and is actually manipulating them the whole time, which you sort of get that impression. Uh, and, it, you know, when she first takes her arms out of the thing and you realize she's not actually tied to the chair. It's a pretty clever um, scene that calls back thematically without, you know, being like, hey, you remember when Aang did stuff like that? Did it, did Aang literally do that? Because I I was reminded of something. He did something like similar. There's I think I found an image online of somebody who put the two screenshots next to each other of him. Well, the, there's one that I remember, which is a separate one, where uh, in book two, when the Earth, when the Dai Li and the Earth King decide to uh, put handcuffs on them, and then Aang's explaining yeah. something, and he sort of like waves his hands around. For a second, even though he's supposed to be in handcuffs because he can earthbend, so it's doesn't. There's no, that's nothing actually holding him there. Uh, and then he like quickly puts his hands behind his back again to, so that nobody, I guess nobody notices that he mm. he um he's not actually bound. But there's another scene where he's it's an airbending thing, and it's, it's sort of similar to this. Um, but yeah, no, I thought I thought this whole this whole scene was fun. Uh, you know what it is? It's this episode was a lot of character development and things, and it's it's weird because I love those scenes or those episodes in the old series, but Korra is so plot-driven that when they happen in this, it's not. there's nothing wrong with them, and I actually really like what they're doing, because it's important to flesh characters out, but they're just so different than, you know, when you only have 12 episodes, uh, or 13, is it 13 episodes? I think um, it's 13, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, right, so you don't have the chance, you, you don't have the chance to balance it more evenly. You know, I think Avatar was like maybe a 40-60 split between plot-driven being 60 and 40 being you know, like, character episodes. Whereas here, it's, like, one or two episodes in a whole season will be about it. And the rest of them are all, um, really plot episodes. This whole season, up to this point, has been a lot more character-driven than past seasons of the show. This is something we've talked about a lot in the past. That, uh, this show is a lot more uh, focused on plot and thematic development than it has ever been on character development. Right. But, you know, you, the most obvious example is Quora alone completely focused on her character or even last week which was very focused on on Wu um, and this episode which is all about the airbender kids and Korra as well to an extent it's it's interesting that they're taking this opportunity in the final season in the, the whole first act of the final season to not build up the plot whereas you know <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting to, to contrast this season once it's over with season 3 which was all about uh, plot building and build, and I adore season three. I think season three, season three is fantastic, but by this point in season three, a lot of stuff had happened, and there was a clearly established uh, antagonist, multiple clearly established antagonists, and 
we we don't we still don't know a lot about Kuvira. And my favorite moment in the entire episode, I think this was this is what I was talking about. I think this is brilliant. Um, when Iki is with the the Earth Empire soldiers, and they kind of go off to the side and they say, um, "Oh no, what do they say?" When do, I don't remember when they say it, but they're like, "Oh, the rest of the troops are getting to march on Zaofu, and we're stuck here." Mm-hmm. And that's just a completely thrown away aside. Yeah, that is it's not even like relevant to the conversation that they're having with Iki. It's just something that they say because that's something that's happening in their lives, and they don't dwell on it or even go back to it. And we never, we don't visit Guvira in this episode or anyone from Zaofu. We don't, but Iki's clearly processes it. That's, oh yeah, I she mean, noticed, she's and that's trying to gather information. I assume they're going to bring uh, that knowledge back when they go back, unless that already happens in the next episode, which is you know uh, also possible. But what I really love about this moment is that it established, and this is something the season's been doing overall. It establishes. Uh, something that's happening off-screen very clearly. And, it, <laughs> you know, people say show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also... It, it can it's also... how you tell, I think. Exactly, yeah. If you tell in a way that isn't, you know, very blatant and that isn't unnatural, and that is... That, that, that takes place outside of the literal telling of the story it can come across as... This came across to me as really, really clever. Mm. This moment that was so interesting to me because we <laughs> this information t- to this episode isn't relevant. And if you just took this episode on its own, this would be just a throwaway line. You don't... You know, what is... Zaofu doesn't matter to this episode. Uh, Kuvira doesn't matter to this episode. It was just a bit of world... It seems more like world building. But it, what's cool about it is that because of what we know that, you know, bit of world building has a lot of relevance to what the plot of the season is. I thought that was a, just a fantastic line. Yeah, no, I do. Um, but to contrast that with a different moment in the episode, um, ironically from Toph, the, always the great orator, um, <laughs> I, I said sarcastically, uh, the, the moment where she's talking about Korra's past, I was so weird. I was like, you know, so we've talked about this a million times in podcasts by this point. You know, all these ideologies of these different political yeah. leaders. And um, and we also, you know, and this is a thing like, you know, the Last Airbender subreddit and Tumblr and everything. Everyone's always talked to like, this isn't a mystery. You know, they haven't really hidden a lot of these ideas. Um, and even in like the finale, for example, we talked about in the finale of season three, where Zaheer is like, you know, we're anarchists. We want anarchy, like, very blatantly. Um, which I thought was earned because the whole, you know, like, it's just, he might say that even though we've, you know what I mean? So it made sense. But here we have Toph just laying out very, you know, uh, you know, a very, she's laying out this whole situation or the whole, her whole, uh, Cora's whole history and the people she's dealt with in a very uh, rudimentary, almost condescending sort of way, uh, where she's like, well, each of these people each had a point, and they, and she even uses the word ideology. She's like, and, you know, they all had different ideologies, and they took them too far because they weren't balanced, but, you know, they did have a point, and that's why you're having trouble. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you just spent you know, I would argue most of last season and all of the beginning of this season saying that, or showing that, speaking of show, don't tell, and now you're telling us that. Like, why 
add that to the mix. We well, I liked this scene actually. And really? I... Yeah, because it was little. This... It was it was like it was like non-information. That's like being you know. Well, no, it's not. I mean, this is something that we've picked up on and talked about. But this isn't something. This isn't something that to date the show has really acknowledged in such a specific way. The idea that because it didn't need to, it was already communicated. Very well, maybe clearly. it does. I mean, it depends on what the arc of this season is going to be, and it seems like I, th- I think we have to look at this episode as the act one, the end of act one of this season. Mm. And it really seems like they're in this scene setting up Cora's journey for the rest of the season to be the direct acknowledgement of the that her villains maybe were right. And this is, you know, again, we've talked about the idea that whether or not she will decide that the world doesn't need the avatar anymore and i believe all that the thing is i believe that you could have that arc though without having that moment you know what i mean like that we would if it's the same exact if if this ends with with core going back and you know fighting for rights for non-benders and for trying to protect the spirit world and um deposing uh monarchs and instituting democracy all over the world or whatever she's trying to do uh there then that could happen regard you know without somebody coming and saying this is what you know your villains were because like i don't know it just seems like it's a uh, obvious what i well i think that this is something that not the audience is being told really but that cora is being told and that will feed into the way she deals with kuvira because this is you know again it's something that we have talked about in the past but not something that cora has ever really sp- dealt with in a major way, she's always been able to kind of hide behind, or, or not hide behind, but not be able to process the ideologies of her enemies because they were enemies and they were bad guys, and, and she was in danger. But but exactly. now she's not, and so I. But I think that even then, they already had a, uh, a a device they could use to communicate these ideas. She has those visions where she stumbles into the, you know, she's heading and she like ends up in that little puddle or pond or whatever. Um, in this episode, and she has a vision of Amon and Unalak and all these these people from her past. Why not have instead of showing the scenes where like they're menacing and terrifying, use those same vision, that same de- that same narrative device to show a moment where Amon makes a really good point, or where Unalak makes a really good point, or where Zahira makes a really good point. Instead of, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think the reason you don't do that is because it needs. It's for the same reason that she didn't understand that when she heard it from well, no, but now the first she's, time. But now she's in a position of remove, so you could show those those scenes and she could be like, oh, I overlooked that. Now I can focus on it because I'm not actually in danger. Well, yeah, but I think what she has to learn from Toph in this whole, these both of these episodes is this. And I think it has to come from Toph from a from the wise mentor character. Just, just in, you know, archetyp- archetypical terms. She has to not this is, and Toph actually says a couple times, like, oh, avatars need so much hand-holding. Uh, she has to be led to this. This isn't something that she would otherwise come to on her own. And, this, you know, she spent three years looking for answers, and she couldn't. She, this isn't something she realized until Toph told it to her. To me, that weakens Korra, because if Toph had given her maybe more enig- enigmatic advice, which she's been, she was trying to do pretty regularly, and then she just gives up and just tells her... Um, so that it, she's still guiding her. You're not taking that away. But Cora's still figuring it out on her own by seeing these visions and by... You know what I mean? I don't know. I just think... I think without I just it, thought this this moment was... I was like, you know... You would, even clearly if we they've did been it, listening to Ember Island Airwaves. <laughs> I, yeah. Hi. Hi, guys, <laughs> by the way. Um, uh, share. Share on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> but 
I think the I agree with you on a in a sense, but I think the problem with that is that you would still have to have Cora explain back to Toph what she's now what she now understands. So you would still have to have that exposition dump uh, through dialogue. Except in this case, it's not Cora explaining what she's thinking; it's someone else teaching Cora a new way of thinking. I feel like that was something that came to pass often in the old series where somebody would try and teach something and it wasn't until that character came back and said, oh, you wanted, you know, you know, uh, you know, Zahira might have had a point and then, you know, the mentor character, whoever it is, is, you know, happy that they were able to communicate the message without just handing, handing it to them. I mean, a lot of characters did that. Uh, I would, Iroh is probably the most obvious example. He wasn't always giving overt advice like don't do this don't do that unless it was necessary like he was he was like don't do something stupid you have a chance to do the right thing and even when he did Zuko didn't listen to him because Zuko um <laughs> but but he'd often give like really weird little you know Zuko even makes fun of all the like little weird things Iroh would say that don't seem to mean anything but then ultimately have really profound meaning that Zuko still has to come to you know grapple with on his own so it doesn't take away his agency in this. And this, it's like, well, Korra's so stupid and never going to figure this out that Toph has to just tell her. And I know that's not the character, and I don't even believe that that's what they were trying to communicate, but that's... It's just... it. Without... Korra didn't do anything, basically. She hasn't done anything in the swamp. She sat around, complained, and then Toph finally gave up and just explained everything to her because she just wasn't getting it. And now she's going to leave. Well, she gets the... She needs what Toph teaches her to be able to get the metal out of her body, which she does. Yeah. And I, th- I think that... Um, it was a cool... By the way, I love the animation in that scene, but I don't know... Yeah, that, I agree. I don't know that it was... I, I, I wasn't expecting it to happen so soon. Um, Like, I don't... It's not that it should have been in there for, like, the... You know, but I thought it maybe would happen before the, you know, the finale kind of thing, or... I don't know. It seems... Like, she would have to struggle with it a bit more. Well, again, Act One, Act One break. Now that she, now she has overcome this struggle, and she can launch into the problem proper. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, she, the episode is not. I like. I think this season has been far and away the best season so far. Um, if it maintains its momentum, it really is a fantastic season. But uh, I would put this episode probably behind the other three. If I had to rank. Yeah. Them. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Just because no you know, even the coronation, which. You know, is I feel like less. Um, oh, I don't want to use that word. Uh, bold than um, uh, the first two episodes. It still has so much going on, so much to to deal with. Uh, I mean, it's bold in some ways, but it's not like focusing entirely on Cora or not in, on Cora at all. Those are two huge things to do in an, in an episode. Whereas the coronation is a little bit more uh, standard. But this episode just didn't have, I feel like, as much going on. But nothing overtly wrong with it, although, again, I feel like the exposition was a little, um, perhaps unnecessary, but... So, but I do want to ask, what do you think of the, uh... We we mentioned the kids, but we have a fairly long sequence with Milo being semi-adult. Um, what do you, what did you think of these, uh, these moments, like, and, and especially, I mean the tone and humor seems to be a lot more in line with the original series because they're good at writing kids of that age, clearly. Um, but I'm curious what your perspective was on these, the way they've characterized these characters, especially since Milo's not just delivering one-liners and 
being ridiculous. He's actually has full speaking roles that go on for quite a while. I think, well, yeah, they're great at writing kids, and this is a great example of that I don't know. Well, of course, with Sokka and Gatara, they're great at writing sibling relationships. Yeah. And the sibling dynamics between these kids are really well established. Or even Tenzin really... and his siblings. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great example, too. Because that was a great episode from book two, I think. I love that episode. Yeah, where they're, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're just sort of that's, a, I, that's a great episode. That's a great example. It's And it's totally manifesting here. It's so well executed, just the the interplay between them, and you totally just you know you totally understand how they relate to each other, just with them. What with one line they say to one another, or the way you know, or just their body language, especially with with Jinora, who is so trying to be so Stoic. serious yeah. and trying to be so calm and and the leader, but you can tell that <laughs> this frustrates her so much, mm-hmm. and she seems more like mopey. Mm-hmm. Then, then very wise and calm, like um, well, which she is funny after because Tenzin in that way. Though. Exactly, I was going to say it's very much like Tenzin, who very, tries to be very wise and calm, but is actually just masking his frustration a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> although it, his frustration manifests a little more angrily than hers, so far anyway. Uh, and I, I get, yeah, like I said, Iki, uh, my new favorite. I think Iki's fantastic. Wow. She's very funny, very, uh, very fun to watch, and I'm. It makes me sad that we didn't get more of her in the past, and I guess this episode is a way... F- is them acknowledging that, mm-hmm. I think, in a lot of ways? I think it's them acknowledging that Iki has had nothing to do in the past three seasons, and now they're giving her an episode where she really gets to shine. I thought back to the first season, and I really, she didn't have much to do then either. Her big moment that most people remember is... Is she the one who comments on Cora's boyfriend? Or is that Yes, Jamara? that's right. Okay, so she does that, and she also asks... Uh, Katara about Zuko's mom, um, and so like those are those are, well they're not meta. Like one is just plot unrelated. Who cares about you know Korra getting upset? About well, those it. moments they're not related to Iki, really. They're not really, but they're not really related. But my point is, yeah, they're not related to Iki. They're not really character. Like she's annoying. All right, whatever. <laughs> she just a, she's just a way to instigate. The reaction is what we remember from those moments, and yeah. she is just the the instigator. Or us, you know, and the reaction from Cora in the, the boyfriend comment, or yeah. the reaction oh from my God. us. I distinctly remember jumping out of my seat when that happened. Yeah, I mean, the animation, that that moment is hilarious. But, you know, or, but the Zuko, you know, Zuko's mom thing, we, you know, we're, that's our reaction, because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, at that point, the search hadn't come out, so we wanted to know the same thing, so, um... So yeah, I uh, I'm glad they're they're fleshing her out. And what, what about Milo though? He's uh he's got like hair and he's running around and I don't know how to feel about Milo. It's I'm weird. Very, the, the, his character is it. They focus a lot on his you know manly man stuff. Yeah. And he never really. I, I was really I was expecting the whole episode for the subversion to come and for you know for, for something to happen and he gained some new understanding about that yeah, this persona he's putting on but he had i mean he's never he never has like when he wants to be like a crazy soldier like uh or you know creating his little flying lemur army or whatever he's doing there's never any undercut of that he just does it and we just have to accept it and then they just the show moves on like there's never he's never brought and like even when you know people are talking about you know he's in he, you know maybe it'll the way they'll fix that is that when he's really in danger, he'll need his parents to come and help him or whatever. But no, he's like a really good airbender. Even when Air Temple Island is attacked in the first season, um, 
you know, he's able to defend himself just fine. They even, they saved Lin together uh, with the other siblings. So it's like, it's not clear what, you know, they're doing with his character. There's not like a, you're right, there's no subversion of his. Yeah, there's no moment where he, you know, his sisters come to his rescue and he realizes that they are valuable. And especially they just... He, he's not talking about his sisters. He always says, just talking about girls in general. And again, that's not something that ever, you know, comes back around. And I, I assume, since this is something that's been true of every time we've seen him this season, that this is going to come around at some point. But it was Hopefully. really... <laughs> the, yeah, I hope. But it was so, so heavily the focus of uh, this him in this episode that I expected that this would be the point where it would happen. Yeah, and, and it seems like a good episode for it. Um, yeah. Because, and, and it's, nothing, it's, it's nothing, like, offensive, really. It's just, like, a kid's brain, you know? He's still in the, like, cooties mindset, which is fine. I don't really know why they're focusing on it, but it's like, why? Um, and, and to be fair, the Aang and Katara and all of them, they all had that weird mindset, too, oftentimes, about... Um, the relationship, like for example, in the in the in the promise, Sokka's totally grossed out by Aang, Aang and Katara's. Well, I mean, what about Kyoshi Warriors? That's what I was really, I think, uh, reflecting on in this episode, because that episode sets up Sokka's, you know, mindset towards men and women, and then by the end, the episode is about you know him learning that that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas this episode really focuses on it, and it's never really... There's no there's no conclusion to it. And that's true of, I think, all the kids, by the way. There's no real conclusion to well, anything maybe that a, they do in this episode. That might be intentional. Maybe they're mirroring. Um, you know, it seems like they're doing a, a thing here where they're... Each episode sort of is like half connecting to the previous episode and half connecting to the next episode. Which is different than season three, which was... I think it was season three where they had, like, pairings of episodes yeah, that just went almost entirely clear. together. Here, exactly. Here, like, we had Korra alone, which overlapped with, all, after all these years, and with um, the top, ep- uh, with the coronation. And then we have um, this episode, which overlaps with the last episode, clearly, but also, you know, we have two top episodes, but then it also, it, I assume, overlaps with whatever's going to happen with the kids next episode. Um, so, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe we're just getting, like, one conclusion and one setup each episode. Yeah, which is interesting that... I, I think the reason that... I think it flows better. I, well, I think the reason it worked in theory, at least in season three, is because we were getting two episodes every week, and the problem was that they started with three episodes, so it was off. Mm. So we would get the beginning oh, of yeah, one arc and the so end of another every week. That was... Terrible, oh, man. That was just Clearly awful. not uh, Brian Konitsko or Mike DiMartino's idea. No, no, and I think they... I bet they were pissed about that. I, yeah, seriously, I wouldn't... Because they, they designed the season to work that way, and it was ruined immediately. If I ever get but, to talk to them, I would love to ask if they... Like, not... I don't want to, like... I'm not going to try and get them to throw Nick under the bus, because they won't do that. But just to say, you know, yes, they were meant to be seen in pairs, and I did sort of throw it off when they started with three. And this also goes to the idea of just the the series being designed for for binge watching, if not intentionally. Oh yeah. Then I think this actually what you're saying absolutely feeds into that that episodes flow into each other and aren't you know not even like last episode where they were broken up into halves very specifically, where they just you know flow together very neatly and they're all connected very mm-hmm. you know smoothly and they just kind of all become one thing. Well, and I it's thought very it, interesting. Avatar 
was more self-contained per episode, I thought, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, I was just watching the other day. It's so much easier to watch The Legend of Korra. I was watching the last couple of episodes of the first season. It was just on TV, because they're still showing that on TV. They, they show that on TV and everything up through when they stopped airing them on TV. That's weird. Isn't that weird? Um, so I'm watching the finale, and, and all those episodes just, like, move together really well if you watch them on their own. Uh, like, or at, at once. Oh, sorry, that's, sorry. They flow together really well if you watch them, like, in a binge. Uh, but I remember being frustrated each week because it's always, like, it's, like, edging closer and closer to the finale. Yeah. Uh, because the shows are so plot, the episodes are so plot-driven. Well, it's a lot of um, Sozin's Comet structure. Or Sozin's Comet is yeah. technically four episodes, but it's all the same story. Yeah, it's like that for a whole season. And that's I think that's never more evident than the end of season two, actually. Where, like, I think the last three episodes are all just the same story. Mm. They're just the events of what's happening in, at Harmonic Convergence from beginning to end. And it just happens to take place over three episodes. And it's But there it seems weird. like Nick knew and then released the episodes. That's true, they did release those The online. last two episodes together, yeah. Yeah. But even the end of the episode of season three, like, picks up right as they're about to get to the Air Temple. Yeah, that's, I think that's a definitely a, um, yeah, yeah. And I, the end of season two, season three, I mean, is more like a, like two-parters in, in television is a pretty, happens all the time, you know. But this show is more than others, I think, committed to connecting episodes very directly and very clearly. Yeah, it's almost like they almost worked, would work together as a like a movie or like a one shot, you know, deal. I know, and obviously not a uh, what is it, a six hour long movie, but I think they would work together. Or maybe you could create movies out of each, you know, if you want to separate them into acts like you did. Uh, that could be really interesting, like in, as, as an experiment. And they would, you know, so let's say it's like four episodes, so that's like two hours. That's not that, or it's not even two hours because they're like twenty minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, like not even that long. And you so, could... Yeah, it would be a little over three hours for a season. Yeah. Like a little three and a half hours. I mean, we that's long, obviously, but it's not, like, absurdly long. For Yeah, yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, so it's a... Um, that might be an interesting way, like, an interesting experiment to try and... Uh... I bet someone's done it. Fan fan editing is such a, you know, thing that I'm sure... I'm sure someone's done Well, it's just like when we were talking about in Game of Thrones, maybe editing it so that it's just one character's arc throughout the season. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah, or editing it into the chapters to more closely resemble the book stuff, or like something that. like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, or the seasons to fit the books better, or whatever. Yeah, um, but that's a total side point. <laughs> so I will say this though. I, this this was a so I was annoyed by the Toph moment, um, which is funny because I I still think she's they've updated. She's literally the same character. Uh, and they, I liked her a lot more this episode. Really, she they. This... I liked her a little bit less this episode, not because of the <laughs> exposition, but just I thought they like more wholly captured her in the first one, which was enough. So I wasn't sad that she wasn't quite as toffy in this one, but 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 I thought they were both very good. But it's funny that you liked her more in this. Yeah, I, I think that there's a this uh, oh boy, this balanced her out a lot, mm-hmm. just in terms of the the two episodes that we've seen her so far. Uh, this tip to the scales, and it seems a lot more even. Uh, like it, it seems like a more even-handed portrayal of her, where we got a lot of the harshness and the uh, the bitter work last episode, and we get a little more. Of... Isn't bitter work the name of an episode? Yes, it is. <laughs> is that is that the one where 
This is the one where she teaches earthbending. To That's one. She, okay, I was literally going to mention that episode because that episode has basically Toph in both of these episodes in one episode. And yeah, I think, yeah. I think that was your maybe your issue with it is that it didn't conclude her like finally coming back and saying final help kind of thing. Yeah. Ex- well. Oh. Wow. Well, this is what we've been talking about the whole time, isn't it? Is that we're getting you know full. Exactly, and maybe we'll get the second half of the Airbender Kids next episode. It's a very interesting structure. What I was going to mention is I really hated that final moment where they're like, well, I guess I really did need help from my siblings, and then each one of them talks about how they learned a lesson. Did that? But they, they didn't at all, because it's, it's, well, it's funny. They didn't, because... and it was also really weird. I was like, this is like a, the end of a, a Caillou episode that was so weird. <laughs> It, it, it almost, it almost works as a joke. Like, it almost works as a joke because... If it the, was done ironically, but I couldn't really... Well, it almost is, because when uh, Iki says, like, well, I wouldn't have found you if Milo hadn't made me run off and storm off by, by myself. Like, that's... That could be played it's as a joke. It's not really a lesson. Because it's, it's not like, a lesson at all. It's like a backhand. the rest of them actually say things that are almost lessons. Yeah. So you're right. It is, it is a weird, weird moment. Yeah. And what did you think of the uh, root, the glowing root? thing doesn't that is a that's a callback to last airbender right is it i think it the tree is in the other i'm like 99 percent sure the tree is in the swamp maybe wait i i've i might be mixing this up i might be mixing up season two but i feel like does 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 do they lose appa in the swamp isn't that a thing no no don't they it, appa i knew gets... they i know that i know he gets captured later but i feel like i re- i feel like i remember that this this happens to find appa in the swamp or to find someone in the swamp. I don't even remember. Gosh, it's been a while. I should go back and <laughs> catch up on that. <laughs> I um, don't remember at all. I do but think it, the, it tree, the tree has been in other... Definitely. But yeah, what's definitely. funny is that like Toph seems to know all about this, the swamp and everything because she's been living there for a while, which is fine. But it's funny, she's giving the intro to the place that she never was in the original series. <laughs> she's like, no, this is the tree that we all, you know. Um, and the one other thing is I, I did predict that Milo and Toph would get along well, and they did. <laughs> They did yeah. for a brief moment. They have this connection. I was like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." Um, and I liked how you know he sort of realizes who Toph is. You know, cranky, old, blind. <laughs> Must be Toph. I was like, "Yeah, that's that's about it." And yeah, that sums it up. Um, so speaking of uh, Zafu and uh, the little bit of exposition we got there, but well placed uh, was uh, the, the well. The next episode is called. Uh, enemy at the gates. Oh, wonder what that's about. Huh? I wonder what that's about. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so I guess we will be we will be getting a lot more Kuvir next episode. Woohoo! Um, I wonder if that's going to be just a whole a whole episode of the the siege of Zaofu, because that would I think would fit a lot into this structure we're talking about, where we don't we get well, you'd uh, have to get some Airbender kids. That's true. If you wanted to fit into the structure, yeah, yeah. But I think it's it would be interesting if. Because uh, this season we haven't gotten advancements in every storyline, every episode. True. We've kind of bounced around. Like, we haven't seen Mako and Bolin. We haven't seen Asami in a long time. Uh, we ha- we don't, we're not seeing everyone advancing every time. So it would be, I think it would fit into that if we got just a whole episode of, of Kuvira and Su Yin at Zaofu without. I mean, I would be down for else. that. I just, I wonder. Um... Yeah, what if Su Yin? You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it. What if Su Yin is like? What if there's different characters who end up 
being maybe if the avatar is not going to be an avatar anymore or whatever they're going to be doing uh, or maybe becomes the advisor or whatever the situation is what if Su Yin is like the more moderate Zaheer in that she's not evil but she's like a more balanced version of the freedom mantra you know what I mean and so that there's different characters who represent those yeah we would need to think of other I mean I, it record this theory literally just came to me so I have to get some yeah would it, who would be Amon who would be uh, Unalak well I'm not um, sure. Amon you could throw Asami in there she's not maybe. a bender maybe um, hmm. so you could do a little bit of that what's funny about Amon is that he's his campaign is seems so uh, like it's uh, it should be a moot point it's not clearly the there's been a slip since Sokka, but Sokka was the ch- like the like a representative. He was the chief of the water tribe, etc., and he wasn't even a bender. So I think that's kind of interesting that um, that there became this need after somebody who was so, so prominent was a was a non bender. But of course, just because you come from a particular you know demographic and you end up in charge of things doesn't mean it gets better for everyone who's in your demographic. I guess so. Yeah, and then obviously politically, if you can you can convince people that they need some uh, something that they don't actually need right if you you know just by showing cherry picking examples of right exactly although it was pretty clear i mean they make it pretty clear that there really is a problem with non-bender versus bender relations and the way the society is structured um that's true and that was obviously uh, in reaction to just everything we knew from the original series about how the world operated yeah no and it's really cool i mean there's great that great scene when cora you know yells at that guy who with the bullhorn um and she's totally wrong in that scene like she couldn't be yeah. more wrong and she's so offended and distraught uh and it's funny because we don't really get a resolution that season really does not work on its own i don't think i think this <laughs> is gonna really work a lot better um but anyway so so what you're saying is you want this to be the full siege of Zaofu, so this is gonna be the episode the game of thrones episode nine of Korra. so for a whole yeah. episode it'll be yeah, the battle it's... episode yeah, but it's gonna be better. It would it would be good. Yeah, yeah, it'd be, it'd be it wouldn't be the uh, the watches on the wall. It would be good. Exactly. Right? And, and <laughs> yeah, and we would have you know, Bo Lin is obviously gonna play a part. We're gonna have sure, Su, sure. Su Yin and Lin obviously. So we would it's whatever. Even if it's not the whole episode, it's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, and and yeah, I'm really excited to see this. And oh, and one thing I did want to mention about Bo Lin is that there's a picture. I don't know if I sent it to you, but. There's a picture online um, that I'll link to that has uh, Bolin in like each season. Uh, you did send this to me. I yeah. did. Like say like with people telling him one thing that you know being like no 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 it's fine I'm not evil and then him being like okay and his that's his response every time and so it's a theme that he's just constant like Varric and um, uh, Kuvira and, and and all these characters telling him not to worry about it it'll it'll you know it's it's fine just you know look the other way or whatever and he just goes okay and then later he goes oh he was evil or she was evil um which is kind of a funny theme but it kind of indicates obviously that and not that we didn't know this but that he'll definitely be changing sides at some point back to good instead of kuvira whatever she (laughs) is um cool all right so uh the next episode is Enemy at the Gates. Uh, I look forward to talking with you about it next week. Awesome. All right.